Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Wondering where to start? Do you have questions about mortgage and real estate and need honest, accurate answers? Well, you're in the right place. Welcome to The Educated Home Buyer with expert real estate broker, Jeb Smith, and certified mortgage consultant, Josh Lewis, where we discuss everything you need to know to buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership. Welcome back to the Educated Home Buyer Live, where our goal is to help you buy right, borrow smart, and build wealth through real estate ownership and financing. We got a lot of news to talk about tonight. We're here, of course, also to answer any real estate, any mortgage questions you have. So be sure to put those in the chat. As always, on Wednesdays in our lives, we have our esteemed guest, Mr. Josh Lewis, certified mortgage professional with us. Josh, welcome back. I am glad that I've reached the level of being esteemed. It only took uh, 49 years, but happy to happy to be there. Happy to. Well, I mean, it was it was, you know, people think it's an overnight success. It's actually taken you about a year and a half on the show to become esteemed, but you're there. Um, So no overnight successes in this story. But uh, so what we've got to talk about tonight, uh, first off, treasuries, 10 year treasuries hitting Recent highs, um, 4.13 or so. Josh will tell us a little bit about that. We got mortgage rates, again, climbing above 7%. Highest level we've seen in nearly 20 years. Uh, What else do we got, Josh? Mortgage applications at a 25-year low. The world is falling apart, man. Um, Now, uh, the title of the video is How Much Will the Housing Market Decline? You know, we've talked about it in previous videos. Fannie Mae has basically said it's going to get crushed. We are going to lose 1.5% in 2023, a whole 2% in value. Well, as we talk about that, we're going to talk about the market. The market is definitely going to continue slowing. House prices are definitely going to continue being affected. Uh, but by how much, Josh? That's the real question. So I guess I'm going to throw it your way. Let's talk a little bit about interest rates, talk about what you're seeing there, um, and then we'll you know, go from there. Perfect. Um, it's really, it's, it's spectacular. I was going to try and pull up a chart uh, to show you guys tonight to show you how far we have to go back in time to see the tenure at this level. Um, my chart doesn't go back that far. Um, I, I could have found a different chart, but uh, 2008, it's actually a little bit past 2008. So 16, 15 years, we're, we're moving on towards here uh, to see that. So um, we keep talking here about sort of important critical levels as we're moving up. Uh, three and a quarter was an important one. We blew through that and then recovered way back below it. And then we had that as, as support back on the way up, blew through that, blew through 365. Four was an important psychological level. And now we're at 411. 411, 422 is more of a psychological. What's the 411, Josh? What's the four, easy, Mary J. The, uh, the, <laughs> that level is is important technically because it was a support level way back in 2008. Um I I still am of the belief that we are trying to find a, a bottom here in treasury prices and therefore yields and interest rates. Um, doesn't look like we found it yet. So the important thing, if you are in the market to buy a home, 
I can't imagine many of you are in the market to refinance, but if you're in the market to buy a home, as soon as you have a property under contract, get it locked. Um, I do expect we're going to see a turning point here sometime in the near future, but you've all heard the saying markets can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent. I'm not even saying they're irrational. They probably are quite rational right now. After 10 months, nine and a half months of nothing but negative, and no matter what happens, things get worse. The market has concluded that only bad things happen. Happen. So when we see no no negative news really come out that should have impacted bonds today, and yet uh, interest rates are an eighth to a quarter point worse for mortgages, we're knowing that we're in a very bearish market. And usually when you see that bearish sentiment, when you see really high volatility, which we're seeing volatility in the bond market more than what we saw during the first outbreak of COVID, um, again, I believe we are near a turning point. Not that we we turn around and rebound down to 3% in a month or two, not that we get to 5.5% in a month or two, but we should start seeing some correction um, after next month's uh we have we have another fed meeting november 2nd fed's gonna yeah. whack us another three quarter of a percent 99 percent um, chance at the moment that happens early in november jeb we get another read on cpi that'll be the october figure That's november 4th so two days later two days yep. later so we're going to see you know historically what we've seen fed rate hikes will actually lead to lower interest rates this is a slightly historically different time because we've never seen the Fed tighten this far this fast on a percentage basis. So in 1982, they raised more in in uh, nominal uh, amounts over a shorter period of time. But from the very low level we were coming from to the high level we are at now this is the fastest they've ever hiked. So we're likely to get a soft softer improving CPI figure two days after the Fed hits us another three quarters of a point. So my, my expectation, Jeb, is the market will like that and we will see some improvement off of that. But there's going to be some uncertainty and volatility. We're talking, what, two weeks away? So the 26th is next week. We're talking two two weeks from now. We're, there's a, it's all going to hit the fan. Yeah, and 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 while uh, this gentleman's not uh, an esteemed economist, he has a pretty good gauge on the economy. Um, and his name is Jeff Bezos. And he came out today and basically said, you know, something along the lines of batting down the hatches um, with a recession coming. And I'm assuming he's looking at, you know, traction with regards to, to, to Amazon and the business and basically saying, you know, he sees a recession on the way as well. So, you know, understand recession doesn't necessarily mean housing prices, right? It just means slower growth in the economy. And by, by technical terms, we're already in a recession because we had the two quarters of negative um, GDP, although they're not signaling signaling it. Um, in fact, most of the time they, they you know, when, when when they actually come out and say we're in a recession at that point, we're typically already headed out of it. So, um, you know, it's, you know, save your money. Um, this is a time that if you're not in the house to buy, you know, not in the market to buy a house, but you want to buy one, now's the time to start looking at finances, looking at things you can cut, look at budgeting, you know, trying to be a little bit more diligent on that side, putting money away so that when the opportunity does present itself um, as the market, you know, slows that you're you're in a better position to buy. Um, so, Josh, I had something great I was going to say, and I just remembered it. So I'm not even going to go where I was going. And that's it. We got always, some shirts made. Look at this. There you go. That's this the first edition. First edition of a good stuff shirt. You guys asked for it. I did it. There's two different variations. Actually, there's this one and one that has a splash. I don't have it. I'm not wearing two shirts today. I should have had it on under and I could have pulled it off. And, and just Hulk like, Hogan yeah, I've done another one. 
Yeah. Uh, but I have some logos I'll throw up here on the screen. Um, actually, in fact, it's on the, the merch store on YouTube, so you can buy it off YouTube. I'll put a link up here later if any of you guys want one. I don't expect you to buy it, but you asked for it. I have one on. I'll put it out there. You know, if you're on our dating site, if you're going to sign up for the dating you site have that to have we have, you have to have one. Site. It's part of the deal. So uh, good stuff. So, Josh, um, what else is happening in the world at the moment? So, you know, l- listings, new listings are down. So less inventory coming to the market, uh, I think, pretty much across the nation. Um, but, you know, with that said, inventory levels aren't necessarily going down. They're actually not growing a little bit in some markets. And you say, well, how can they be growing when new listings aren't coming to the market? It's because, you know, the listings aren't um, selling like they were. Um, Yeah, there are new listings coming on. They're just not coming on at the same rate. And there's less properties going into escrow because of affordability and that play. And so you're seeing inventory levels in a lot of markets just kind of move sideways. And that's more or less what we've seen here locally in Huntington. Today, we sit uh, Orange County, 3,607 properties. So that's more or less where we were last week within a couple, and then 243 here in Huntington Beach. And for the context out there, guys, you know, we started the year, Orange County had about 975 or so properties on the market. Um, We saw as high as 42, 4,300. Um, and now we're back to 3,600 Huntington. We started the year at like 60 something. Uh, we went as high as like 270, 280, and now we're back down to 243. So inventory's likely peaked, but homes are sitting on the market longer because of those affordability issues, Josh. So yeah, no, yeah. It, it, it is that, that affordability piece is, is the big thing. Um, not to jump into the questions, but I think this actually, um, kind of continues on this conversation logical thinker back and says do you agree with the new forecast by the car that the california median home price will drop 8.8 percent in 2023 because borrowing costs will remain high in the next 12 months so we already talked a little bit about what our expectation or at least my expectation is for interest rates over the 12 months um i don't believe that interest rates are going to stay elevated they could and i could tell you what would have to happen for that to be the case but that is the critical question right now. Um, we did the episode of the podcast this week. Um, is it the one that released this week or is it going to release next Tuesday? Jeb? No, ha- well, the, the one that released this Tuesday um, that you guys can go check out on the Educated Home Buyer is uh, housing affordability, how how the market's affected by, by rising interest rates, if you will, and how home prices are also affected by that same that same measure. So it that released on Tuesday. So go check it out. There's some good information in there. It's about a 20, 25-minute episode. Uh, but it's a deep dive into the affordability piece. Yeah, so there's there's only three things that impact affordability. Affordability tells us how much able demand we have. We've talked about it before. There's always willing demand. There's always people that want to buy a house. The homeless guy in the corner would love to buy a house. He doesn't have the ability to, so we don't have able demand there. Affordability is the measure of um, those that are willing to buy, how able they are. And there's only three things that go into it. Home prices, all-time highs, income. Income is is Wages, uh, yep. is up, but um, barely keeping pace with inflation. In many cases, not keeping pace not with inflation. Keeping, yeah. And the thing that has blown affordability out of the water this year, if rates were still at 3%, we would still be in a very hot market. Prices would still be appreciating rapidly. So that is the thing that has put the brakes on the market because the, the monthly payment for any given home anywhere in the United States is taking up a much larger percentage of the household income for that family due to the high prices and more importantly, the rapid rise in interest rates. If interest rates stay this elevated, um, it will be 
be interesting um, and not in a positive way. Like, I, I don't know if we could even stay at the current levels of, of movement because most of the folks that I talk to um, believe pretty strongly that whether it's six months or 24 months or 36 months from now, they're gonna have an opportunity to refinance to a lower rate. So the, the, the $24 million question, if you had the crystal ball on interest rates and knew where they were six and 12 months from now, you could say with, with pretty good certainty what's going to happen to, to home payments. I don't believe rates are gonna stay this elevated. I don't believe they're gonna be a ton better, but some relief will be a support for home prices and keep them from dipping too much. So there's that piece, Jeb, and I guess I, I keep going back to this. Um, I don't have a lot of buyers in the middle or lower price ranges right now. And even those still have the HGTV effect where they want to see the beautiful house like after Jasmine Roth just got finished with it versus yep. the before. And those houses in every price range are selling for top dollar and Showed immediately. And we're writing immediately. It today. Yeah. There's there's a house in my neighborhood, Jeb. It came on the market about two weeks ago, and I'm like, eh, it's not a terrible price. I go, is, is it overpriced? No. I go, for the current market, I kind of think it is. It doesn't look very nice from the outside. You see the pictures, and they did some smart things. It did not have a full-blown renovation, but it had beautiful uh, uh, luxury vinyl flooring, um, the right color paint. Um, everything looked nice, and it was staged well. Before I knew that it was in escrow, I get an email notification that it closed. Then closed in like 17 days, 1.2% uh, above ask. And I was questioning whether that value was there. I have a client that I've been telling you guys about as long as we've been telling you about Jeb's brother and, and sister-in-law. Um, he has lost out now on five homes in the plus or minus $1.3 million price range. He sends me a text on Monday. We're just in the final stages of verbal negotiations. Should have this wrapped up tomorrow. We can finally put this to bed. I didn't hear from him today. I shoot a text. Hey, how are the negotiations going? He goes, don't ask. We literally got beat out uh, again. And part of the reason it's not his price range, that 1.3 million in our neighborhood, it just so happens in, in my, he's near me. And in my neighborhood, that one came on the market at 1.3. That's what passes for affordable, 1,500 square foot, three bedroom, two bath, and a nice neighborhood in good condition. It's that the people that want those homes, the people that are really well qualified, they're all out there going after that 10 to 20% of the market that is nice and updated. So um, it, deals are out there and I have no doubt, I, I talk to agents on a daily basis. We have a unique program here in Southern California. So I call agents through eight, throughout eight counties here in Southern California. And when I look up their property before I have that conversation, I can tell how it's going. The ones that have a bitchin' property, they're gonna tell me, hey, don't need your help. We already got this thing sold. The ones that wanna have the long conversation are the one that's bad location, ugly house, not updated, grandma just passed away and it's 1960s original. So it's uh, it's an interesting market and that's anecdotal and that's Southern California, uh, largely California wide, but uh, Southern California only. How, how does that jive with what you're seeing, Jeb? Yeah, so I spoke to an agent today in Phoenix, in the Phoenix market and he said, yeah, inventory's up, the market's softening considerably. He said, you know what's interesting though? He said, like, like you just mentioned, the property, the nice properties are still selling, uh, but he said, there's a lot of investor activity. Um, a lot of, you know, the homes that are sitting on the market, the Zillow's, the open doors, you know, the, all the I buyers that bought a lot of these properties, those homes are sitting. And quite frankly, the agents that are representing those properties, a lot of them don't know what they're doing to begin with. They were just hired by Zillow as more or less a front person or open door, whatever, just, Hey, can you sell this thing? Um, and what they're finding is 
a lot of these companies are willing to negotiate a little bit more than others. And he hit, I have investors buying up these properties. Some of them are fixed and flips. Some of them they're just buying and keeping because of the cash flow and in, in those markets. So it's not all um, dire out there in the market. There are people still, still buying and selling homes uh, amazingly enough. So, yeah, so it's, you know, and, and we're going to do our best, you know, it, unfortunately, I actually have a job of selling real estate and jo Josh actually has a job of, of doing loans. And so, you know, the live that we do on here, I often, I want to get people on to talk about different markets, but by the time I think about it, it's Wednesday at 4.59 um, or it's Wednesday right now at 5.15 versus, you know, me trying to figure it out in advance. And what I'm going to do is make myself a, a note here after when Josh starts talking to, uh, to reach out to a couple of different markets and, and see who we can get on here. Uh, maybe some Florida, some Texas. I know you guys talked about those two markets, Arizona, um, maybe even Utah, just some different markets on here and get a vibe of what's going on because, you know, different markets are reacting a little bit differently. Um, as, as you guys know, real estate's local. So, um, yeah, that's that. Uh, and last piece I'll, I'll, I'll mention on the merch here early on, I showed you the shirt, the good stuff shirt, the educated homebuyer shirts are also on that, that link as well. So if you were to go to that link, um, in the chat there, you can, you can get different shirts, different, uh, colors, all of that good stuff, sweatshirts, all that good stuff. So, uh, for the, uh, the, the 91 degree day that we had here, you can buy a sweatshirt today. Anyway, Josh, anything you want to add before we dive into some questions? I'm just, I'm really just disappointed and mad at myself. I haven't got my YouTube channel going and you've already got a merch store. So you're like two giant steps ahead. Well, we I mean, everybody really says get... the market's crashing. I'm trying to get as many jobs as I can. You know, everybody's hiring, Josh. I'm, I'm getting, I'm putting in applications. I put an application in for the merch store and I hired myself. And therefore here I am now. I'm a merch designer, a merch seller, two different jobs there that I got. Neither of them pay very well. But I just got additional jobs. I'm looking to, you know, help this employment number. I don't want us to go any lower or, you know, or any higher than 3.5. I want to stay right there. That's I good. got it. Uh, but it, we have got some good questions here. There was one I wanted to jump into quickly because it was a kind of a it wasn't a it wasn't a question, but it was more of a comment. Jennifer uh just says pasadena cal she's in pasadena pasadena is a desirable market a lot of older historic homes uh but just says the prices are still insane yeah just because the prices have softened you know again you're looking at the headlines the world's ended uh no prices yes the prices have softened but again a lot of these things are still unaffordable in people's eyes and still very high priced i mean even though house prices have come back say say they've come back 10 percent in your market they have not in mind but say that's what you're saying it is no more affordable now. In fact, it is still less affordable than it was five months ago uh, with rates where they are at the moment. So you need house prices to come down considerably, which I actually talk about in a video that's going to come out on Monday. How much home prices need to come down to 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 where it would be what what people would deem almost affordable in their markets, and it's it's mind boggling um, once you see that the actual numbers. So. Uh, but no, Jennifer, I feel you. It's uh, I, and, and Pasadena is one of those markets that's probably not going to see a lot, of, you know, a huge amount of softening. It's not San Francisco. It's not some of these markets. And some of these markets like, you know, San Francisco and Seattle and all of these markets, you know, one of the mentors I, I, I follow um, that follows the market says, you know, it's not only these markets like San Fran and, and, and whatever and, and saw this gangbuster appreciation. Those cities also have like. Pol political infrastructure issues within the cities that are causing 
another parrot, like another issue within there. And that's another reason that homes in those markets are, are having um, a little bit more trouble and settling a little bit more than, than other markets because of some of the things going on in those cities. So it's not always just about, you know, one thing, oftentimes there's multiple things that, that affect those prices. But, and Jeb, Josh, the, the, yep. the politics of housing are a lot like uh, traditional politics here in the US. Um, there's no there's no voice for the same people in the middle. You've got the crazy people on, on the left, which are the yes in my backyard, and then the crazy people on the right, which is the no in, in not in my backyard. I got the beautiful house in the quiet, perfect neighborhood, and the answers are somewhere in the middle. So we're here on the crazy left coast in California. Um, our politicians think that um, planning and zoning and all that stuff is crazy. You just throw it out and let people build everywhere. But there are some common sense answers in, in the middle. Um, the, the things that we're seeing in California, you can literally put an ADU in any backyard now, regardless of whether the neighborhood was built for it, there's infrastructure to support it. Um, so there's there's answers to this that that are centrist. Unfortunately, the the people that have time to go to city council meetings and, and state government meetings and yell at people are only the people that want no development or the people that say, yes, anything. You can develop whatever you want as long as it's a, a living space for someone. Good stuff. And so did you actually address this question? Did you give an answer on this one, Josh? Did you say where you thought? Um, no. And, and the I, question for those listening, um, that because this is going to be on the podcast on Friday, do you agree with the new forecast by the California Association of Realtors that the California median home price will drop 8.8% in 2023 because of borrowing costs will remain high in the next 12 months. So your thoughts on that, Josh? I do not. I think uh, in the next year, rates will be at least a percent lower. Um, that will help ease affordability. It will help bring some demand back into the market, and that will be supportive of home prices. Doesn't mean that they can't go down. Um, a, a lot of that depends on, on where the economy is at. The biggest driver of home prices coming down is forced selling. Forced selling generally comes from distress. There's minimal forced selling from divorce, death, job moves, that type of stuff. Um, but you need mass forced selling. In California, when we've seen big waves down in home prices, we've seen 40% or more of the volume in the MLS being distressed sales, foreclosures, short sales, that type of stuff. Everyone's sitting on equity. Um, everyone is sitting, for the most part, is sitting on low interest rates and very affordable payments relative to the similar property in terms of rent. That will be supportive of prices. People will cling, fight, beg, borrow, steal to stay in those homes when the alternatives are are less attractive um, and some of them will be forced to sell and if the market if there's not enough demand there to keep the price at the last sale home prices will come down we're seeing that in some areas so if you have some money the best thing that i could advise doing is dialing your house in so you're one of those nice hgtv homes so that if you do have to sell uh you do get top dollar for it gotcha yeah and i'm gonna go out and i'm gonna dis i'm gonna say that home prices could decline up to 10 percent um, now is that the media, like it depends on the market, right? Some markets will fare better than others. Um, uh, but could the California median do it? Sure. I mean, at this rate, I the, don't the know. The question though, Jeb, rate. isn't, could they, it's, will they, well, could they, yes, I mean, the answer is yes, could. they can. Could, could they? Well, that's easy. That's well, an easy thing I mean, to say. Sure. But what I'm going to say here is that interest rates have been irrational longer than I thought they could be, which tells me that they can still stay irrational longer than I think they can. And if they do continue to stay irrational, which I'll, I'll, I'll say, I don't think they will, because I think what the Fed's doing is too aggressive. And by the time 
they they see these numbers actually come down, they're going to have already gone too far and it's going to have a bigger impact. And they, they're probably going to have to, to ease off quicker than they wanted. But what I'm going to say is there's a chance that I'm completely wrong uh, based on my, 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 my prior predictability and say that, yeah, sure. I mean, if, if they continue to hammer and continue to hammer because of it, unemployment numbers look positive and they're not looking at the rest of the data and they're only looking at employment, then I think that could have a bigger impact on house prices. So here, there's actually a comment here I want to throw up here um, because it leads, it leads, all roads lead back to interest rates. Inflation, how inflation dictates interest rates. Is that a hot dog? It's going to have, it's a pill, I think. It's a red pill. They're not a blue pill person. They're a red pillar. So are you sure, says the Fed will continue until there's people unemployed. That's the only way to stop inflation. There's already articles on Forbes and everywhere going around. So thankfully it's in Forbes because now we know it's a fact. Um, but the, <laughs> The, the actual truth of the matter is the Fed is 100% for the time being going to keep pushing. So I read a very good article this week. I sent Jeb a snippet of it and he said, hey, that's awesome. What did they just say? Because it was in economist speak, super high in the clouds. <laughs> I couldn't was, understand it. I, it was hard. It was dense. It was eight pages of it. And he says, as long as the Fed continues doing what they're doing right now, we will see lower interest rates next year. The risk to not getting lower interest rates is if the Fed loses their nerve and doesn't keep doing what they're doing and doesn't keep rates elevated. We started to talk about this earlier in the show. Jevin kind of got distracted by a question or some nonsense. I don't know. But a blue pill, I mean, a red over, pill over over the over the long haul in in more normal markets, a series of two, three, four Fed hikes will lead to lower mortgage rates, because generally what happens is the Fed has to hike because the markets believe inflation is getting out of control. They hike a few times and the market goes, OK, they've got it under control. And then we see mortgage rates lead um, to a period of flat Fed prices until we hit weakness and then the Fed cuts. Well, the Fed got way behind it in this. And so we had way too long of a period of way too good of interest rates. And now they're going the other direction and they're hammering it hard and, and hammering on the brakes. So the markets still have not concluded that the Fed has inflation under control. So we're not seeing that reaction, but we're gonna have likely three softer CPI readings in the fourth quarter. We're gonna have two more Fed hikes and we're going to have three more months of data. The Fed is paying a special attention to lagging indicators and not paying much attention to the leading indicators that are telling us things are slowing. So uh, again, this this comment here is not wrong. The Fed right now is committed to, to continuing to raise interest rates, taking them higher than most people think they need to be and keeping them there for an extended period of time. But the bigger risk to mortgage rates in the long haul of staying elevated or going even higher is the Fed not doing that. If they lose their nerve and, and stop early, or worse yet, start cutting early, um, the, the markets can conclude, hey, these guys are not serious about stopping inflation. So it's actually um, bad in the short run, good in the long run that the Fed is stepping too hard on the brakes right now. Good stuff. And, and good stuff. And the last thing I was going to say, I read an article and I meant to mention this earlier that 85% of people out there have an interest rate lower than what the market's currently offering. So think about that for a minute. 85% have an interest rate lower. So that, that again, continues to lock additional people into properties. Maybe a month ago, there were people that were kind of on the fence because they weren't necessarily locked into a super low rate. 
as interest rates continue to climb, it continues to lock more and more people in properties, which again, ultimately affects supply. And um, the latest builder numbers came out. They were actually less than expected and so on and so forth. But anyway, we'll dive into some of that stuff as we get through it. Um, but we got a lot of questions on 5% down mortgages, Josh. So I'm going to throw a couple your way here. I'm going to kind of lump some of these into one question and let you answer it all at one time. So uh, Nicole says, are there mortgages with 5% down, no PMI? And then we've got the same question. Can I get a conventional loan with 5% down, no PMI? I, that seems a bit odd that we got almost the exact same question back to back. Uh, but then we've got another one here. Can I get a conventional mortgage without putting 20% down and not having to carry PMI? So a lot of people are wondering, you know, if I put less than 20% down, because that's the key number when, when getting a mortgage, anything less than 20% typically has mortgage insurance. So the question for you, Josh, is can you get a mortgage and not pay mortgage insurance? So here's here's the simple answer. You're asking for a conventional loan. Conventional loan generally refers to loans that are underwritten to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac guidelines. We know VA loans don't have mortgage insurance. FHA loans have mortgage insurance if you put 80% down. So we're talking about conventional loans. Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac require loans with less than 20% down to have mortgage insurance. So if you've heard, hey, we have a no MI option, it's one of two things. It's a, a portfolio lender or a non-QM lender that's not underwriting to Fannie Freddie guidelines. Generally, those are going to have higher interest rates because they're self-insuring, either by saying we're going to charge a higher interest rate and we will go out and buy mortgage insurance. There's a bank here in Riverside, California that we do a handful of loans with every year. And our borrowers freak out every time because they get this MI notification and they're like, you told me this loan has no MI. And I go, absolutely, does not have MI but the bank chooses to purchase the mortgage insurance themselves. It's already baked into your rate. So those are portfolio lenders that are not selling to Fannie and Freddie. Now, if it's going to Fannie and Freddie, you have the option of lender paid mortgage insurance, which is essentially just what we talked about. They give you a higher interest rate, they use the extra profits, they go out and buy mortgage insurance. Um, it's, it's there one way or the other. The question behind the question here is, I don't want mortgage insurance, how do I not have it? And what I would say is stop thinking that mortgage, is the, mortgage insurance is this evil thing. Um, you're going to have it if you have high credit scores, if you have high credit scores and more than one borrower on the loan, it's very, very minimal, especially if you get to 10 and 15% down. It can be as little as 0 0.11, 0 0.12%. Um, a lot of them that we're doing is 0 0.2, 0 0.24, somewhere in that range. So a very well-qualified borrower putting 5% down with two borrowers and a 780 credit score, it's not going to be a lot. And remember that a small additional amount in monthly payment is going to get you into the market and get you amortizing that loan over the next 30 years. So again, if you have a crystal ball and you know where the market's going to be three years from now and there's a perfect entry point for you, wait. But most people, when the time is right in your life to buy, buy then have a long time horizon and get that amortization on your side, appreciation on your side, even if you don't see appreciation for one, two, three years, in 10, 20, 30 years, that home's gonna be more expensive, your mortgage is gonna amortize, you're likely to refinance one, two, three times and keep notching that payment down lower while rent prices are going up, up and up through that timeline. Good stuff. Uh, Willing's got a really good question here, and I just canned it. I canned your question, Willing. Hold on. Let me go back and find it because it was 
it was a solid, solid, solid question that I think a lot of people um, probably have a similar. Here we go. Says, so if the 10-year treasury note is around 4%, why are interest rates about 3% more? Is it the yield that lenders charge to make a profit? I hope that makes sense. What is the 10-year and interest and interest rate? So basically, why why are interest rates higher than than what the 10-year treasury note is offering? So it's or charging it's, or the whatever. question here is a very logical one. So if the spread between treasuries and mortgage rates are a good bit higher than they have been historically, one, one and a half percent higher than they've averaged over the last 10, 15 years, does that mean lenders are making more money? They want every loan to be more profitable. Volumes down, are they trying to make it up on each deal? The reality is not only is volume down, margins are down because everyone's fighting for that business. The supply of loans to do has decreased by 50% and the uh, demand of lenders that need to keep their people employed is high. So lots of demand for their loans, everyone's decreasing their margin. So the reality is why are we seeing that spread? Um, there's a number of, of factors in it. So when you buy a treasury, if you buy a 10 year treasury, there is no prepayment risk. You're going to get that yield for the next 10 years. You might sell it at a discount if you sell it before 10 years is up based off of where rates are at. But if you hold it for 10 years, you're going to get that rate of return and it is your choice. If you buy a mortgage, technically you're buying a 30 year instrument, but you don't know how long it is actually going to be on the books because the borrower has the option to pay it off at any time. 99.9% .9 of loans don't have prepayment penalties. So what happens with that is the market is pricing in the prepayment risk. I have to put this loan on my books. How long am I likely to have it? And what the market is saying, we do not believe that it's going to be on the books very long. The 10-year treasury at 4%, mortgage rates at 7%, they're saying this is the demand, the, the, the return that we demand to compensate us for the risk that in a year or two rates are, are lower. Let's say the tenure just goes back to 3% and we don't even completely normalize on that spread, but it goes back to 2%. Now we have mortgage rates at 5%. That's not a big move. That's the 10-year treasury at three and staying stable there for 12 months and the market going, okay, we don't have this huge prepayment risk. This is probably our new range for the 10-year and we have rates all the way back down at five. Now, nearly every loan with the average loan being over $300,000, anytime there's a move of a half percent, everyone in the market is, is looking to refinance. So that is the biggest reason for it. There's also some reasons related to volatility. When you just don't know day to day what's going to happen, you want a bigger premium in case it takes longer to, to decide what you're going to do with the loans, get them on your books. But the biggest reason is just the excess prepayment risk right now um, and the uncertainty to investors in mortgage-backed securities. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, Maddie says, happy Wednesday, y'all. We're one week older. You stop that right now. I don't age like that. I don't, I don't like thinking that way. Yeah, I don't like that either. You stop that crazy talk. Um, Paul Bunyan. Wow, Paul's here. Uh, we are a few weeks away from the start of the spring home buying season, and there are still no huge price reductions. Five and 10-year arms are safer and are keeping the housing market going. So I agree with uh, part of that. It's more than a few weeks away from the spring home buying season. Uh, yeah, I mean, the market tends to start to pick up in early, mid-February and kind of go through those couple of months. It'll be interesting to see what this year holds. I mean, you're definitely going to see more inventory come to the market. 
because it always does that time of year. Uh, but it'll be more interesting to see where rates are. Uh, I think if rates are high, you're going to see less of that activity. If rates were to come back down, um, that activity could pick up a little bit. But it's it's hard to see what that actually means for for prices at this point because we're you know still a good four four months away from that. This this is the actual answer to the question. Like we are all having to to guess too much right now of where things are going to be in the spring. By March of next year, give it four to six weeks after the Super Bowl, we're going to have a real solid feel. I mean, we may look back and go, hey, 8.8 wasn't wasn't enough. It's going to be a nine and a half percent dip. Or we may look at it and saying, hey, things are pretty stable. Rates have come down. Plenty of buyers in the market. Most sellers are still choosing not to sell. So we have a balance between buyers and sellers. Um, but we'll know a lot more about interest rates and inflation. We'll know a lot more about sellers coming to market and we'll know a lot more about buyers coming into the market and what they want. So uh, it's going to be a lot easier to answer these questions more certainly once we get into next spring. Good stuff. Anya, a regular viewer on here. Thank you for being here. Says when refinancing and your home appraises higher, do you require homeowner's insurance increase? So basically, if you get if your home value shows that it's worth more um, than than you previously purchased it, is your insurance going to comp- company going to charge you more now because essentially the replacement value is higher, Josh? So it, it's not the replacement cost. So that appraisal is not saying anything about the replacement cost. Right. It's talking about the value of the land and the improvements. So um, the loan amount. The appraised value, those have no bearing on what your homeowner's insurance costs. Your insurance company is deciding that independently, and they have determined based off of the information you've given them about your property in terms of size, construction type, roof type, risks in the area, what it costs to insure and rebuild that. From our end, um, let's say that um, the insurance says they they believe that the house can be rebuilt for $270,000 and you have a $480,000 loan. We're going to require guaranteed replacement costs. So we get a replacement cost estimator from the lender and or from the insurance company either showing that the replacement cost is less than than what uh, the insured amount is or guaranteed replacement cost coverage. It says we're saying if it costs nine hundred thousand dollars to rebuild this thing, we're guaranteeing that we will rebuild the home to the same standards. Good stuff. Uh, Burn It Up says, do you agree that the ones that uh, want the crash are those that missed out? Thanks to you both. I locked a low rate last year. I did not drink the Kool-Aid. Laugh out loud. So I believe that's a portion of the people for sure. And that's that's not just the market that we're in now. You have to understand the crash talk has been in the market, honestly, since 2014-ish, 2015. People talking about it's a bubble. It's going to, I mean, honestly, every year it's just more pronounced now. For one, there's like social media in 2014 was completely different than it is at the moment. I mean, yeah, it was around. People had Facebook and 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 what have you, but in Twitter, but the information didn't spread like it spreads now. It wasn't viral. It wasn't on YouTube. I mean, it, things have changed a lot. So headlines get its way around. I mean, get you know they say that what the uh, uh, a rumor. Uh, I can't remember remember the saying basically goes around the world quicker than the, I don't know what the, you know, I'll I'll come up with something here in a minute and make it sound really clever. But um, until now it's, it's yeah. Yeah. I think a large percentage of the people missed out, but I also think a large percentage of people really believe that too, because they're reading headlines and they, they, they believe, you know, what they're hearing and, and without really understanding the context or understanding the depth of what they're reading, it's, 
you know, it's it's the, the person that reads the political headline on on Facebook. And then you get the group email with a thousand people on it talking about this guy said this. And you're like, what are you even talking about? I mean, it's the same type of thing. Remember those emails that went around that send this to 10 of your friends or you're going to die in a car crash or something? It's the same type of craziness um, with some of these headlines. So, yeah, I, I do think there's a portion, but I also think there's there's a lot of different um, things that go into people believing it. The, the thing that you, the people that are like just adamant and just they're going to poke and prod and push. They're the ones that were saying in 2018, uh, we're going to have a crash in 2019. We're going to have a crash in 2020. We're going to have a crash. And again, if you keep saying it, eventually you'll be right. But the ones that didn't buy through that entire time frame, they get more and more angry and more and more militant about this. And if you wanted to buy in 2018, but you were waiting for the right time to buy in, and now you're in 2022, moving into 2023 and prices are 50% higher, you're never getting a correction big enough to get you back to where you should have been in 2018 or to get back that five years of amortization. So there's a small subset of people that <clears throat> militantly angry uh, about the housing market because they've been wrong for so long. Doesn't mean that they'll be wrong forever. It just means that once you're right, you don't even benefit from it. No, and I typed in a lie. So it's a lie can travel halfway around the world. We've got so many. Uh, and back again, while the truth is lacing up its boots, we also have a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Why, 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 why were its pants off? And, and we've got, we've, here's the best part is we've got some saying Mark Twain is, is the, uh, the person that said it. Then we got a Winston Churchill comment in here. So guys, the internet is just, is just ready to give you so much good information. If you're just willing to, to, to type in the right thing. For, uh, for uh, So if you type in housing crash, it's going to give you all the information you need to know without even listening to Josh and I. But there is a, another good question here that I want to get into, and it this, was... This one right here that I just put on the screen? That is not. Oh, there we go. When will we see the good stuff t-shirts for sale? That's not the question I was going to... Here Darren is, was here's late. One. Here's one Darren was late. Actually, yeah, let's, let's go. I'm going to put up something here in a minute. I'll do it in a second. I'll show you a couple of different renderings, but the, the link is actually in the in the the, Comment the comments here it's actually the top comment if you go check it out uh, but there was a question here and it said this um so ed says what should i do with my down payment while i wait for the market to correct so i think this is a really good question josh because inflation you know the numbers are being reported at 8.3 percent or 8.1 or whatever the number is 8.2 uh but real inflation is probably closer to 10 percent um, so, you know, say you've got a hundred thousand dollars sitting in the bank in theory, a year later, that's worth, you know, $90,000. And, and then a year later, it's worth 82,000 and three years, it's worth 73,000 and whatever, right? If you, if you're looking at the real, real rate of return on, on the money sitting in the bank. So Josh, what does one do with money sitting in the bank while they're waiting to buy any, any wise advice here? Why am I drawing a blank? I want to say they're they're called I bonds. Uh, am, am I getting the right term there? So these... I, I think I think that is correct. I think that is what uh, um, Malden and those guys are uh, are pushing out there. Yeah. So the October rate um, is nine point six two percent. So I believe what it does though is it ties your money up for twelve months. So guaranteed by the U.S. government, no risk a rate of return higher than inflation. So you're not going to lose any of that money um, over the long haul. Now, if you're just, 
you want to go big, you throw it all in crypto and see if we get the recovery in the next 12 months. And maybe you're paying you know, cash for a multi-million right dollar home. <laughs> the I-bonds are the right answer in that you should have more money at the end of 12 months in real terms, above and beyond. So you'll have the same amount of money plus the rate of inflation, plus a real return. The downside is you do have to tie that money up. And I think you can actually take it out, but you give up all of your interest is how it works. There's not a penalty for early withdrawal. You just don't earn any interest if you pull it out early. So um, it's a good way to put the money away. Um, so verify that I'm right and not making up rules as I go. But I-bonds are a good way to go because they're giving Trust you a Trust me, bro. Someone will comment if you're not right. So <laughs> we're a moron. Uh, so on the logo, so there's two different logos for this. Um, neither Josh didn't like either. My wife liked both. Of I them. said, I didn't, I didn't love them. Well, that's fine. Um, so this is, this is one, um, has a splash effect to it. Uh, so let me know if you like, we'll, we'll call this one, um, and, or cause there's, there's both, there's both. And then there's this one here too. This one's, this is the one that I actually have on at the moment. And I got a couple made just to see what they look like. So that's the other logo. So anyway, that's it. Nothing on the back, just on the front. Uh, probably do a couple of different renderings uh, of getting other people to do it. So if any of you guys are graphic people, reach out to me. I'll pay you. Let's let's talk. So anyway, let me know what you think there. And um, again, it's in that link. So hopefully that is helpful. Uh, Josh, we got uh, S Flood again asking a good question. Once I buy, is there a holding period? I have to wait to refinance. So I know we've answered this multiple times, but what's uh, what's the the correct answer for this? Do you know now if you've bought, you're gonna, it's going to be six months before you can use the appraised value, which we're not in that market. A year ago, people were asking, "Hey, my home shot up twenty percent in the last four days. Can I get a, a refi and get rid of my mortgage insurance?" Not really the question people are asking right now but you can use the appraised value after six months. You can refinance six days later. What will happen is there is a cost and a loss to the lender. Most loans are done um, lender paid, meaning the lender is paying the, the originator for that loan. The end, end investor that ends up with the loan is paying for that loan. So if it pays off in 180 days or less, there is a penalty to the lender, not to you. So most loans don't have a prepayment penalty. You can refinance it as soon as there is a net tangible benefit to you because another lender shouldn't be doing your refinance if there's not a net tangible benefit to you. Um, but as long as there is, you can refinance as soon as you want. There will be a cost to the lender that did the original loan. So if you're wanting to do this, thinking about doing this, please give the first lender uh, an opportunity unless they did something egregiously wrong to you and you have a reason to go elsewhere. There you go. Uh, we got a couple questions on buying and, um, you know, should I buy now? Should I wait? That sort of thing. Uh, there's one here that we're going to throw up and I can't. Um, where was it? I just had it. Did I click out of it? I guess I must have. I'll find it here in a second. Um, Ruby says, house deal fell through today because of interest rates. They wasted 52 days of our time. 52 days is a long time to figure out long if uh, interest rates um, have gone up. So that's unfortunate. Um, you know, in this market, you really want to get a buyer to release contingencies as quickly as possible because this is what you do this is what you want to avoid at all costs is going through the process, wasting days on the market as the market continues to slow and then find out again, 52 days later that they can't qualify. So um, that's a reason to work with pros, not saying your agent's not a pro, but make sure you're working with a pro. Um, here's, here's the question that I was going to look at. Uh, this is one of them. Um, we've got 
Uh, Ali saying, should I buy now in Utah or wait? And then we've got Paul um, saying, I'm a buyer who sold in 2021 because my house sucked and wanted to move. Renting now and have a lot to put down on the next house, like 70%. Should I wait till next year to see what happens or buy this year? This is one of those questions that's difficult to answer because each person kind of has their ideas and each market's a little bit different. So where you are may be a different environment, um, you know, with regards to inventory, with regards to demand and and the types of property and all of that stuff. So what I would say is if you see the house that, that you like now, it piques your interest, kind of fits all the boxes, you're putting 70% down. I mean, chances are, you know, if markets, I mean, if, if the market did pull back a little bit more, how much more is that? Go, I mean, how much is it actually going to go down and how much are you really going to save putting that much money down? I can't imagine it's a lot. Um, so each scenario is a little bit different. The one in, in Utah might be putting 5% down. So the scenario might be different, but as long as you're buying for the right reasons, again, have the longer term time horizon, it's fine. Uh, what could you gain by waiting? I guess that's probably what people want to know. What could you gain by waiting? The potentials are you could see home prices decline further. Um, you could see uh, potentially less competition. You could see more interest rates drop. Well, that's a possibility. Um, it's not a guarantee. But, but, it could be but worse. But if you saw interest rates drop, I don't. I think that's an adverse to home prices declining. So I don't think you see both of those. Maybe, yep. but you could yep. see home prices decline. Maybe you see interest rates come back a little bit. Maybe you see more opportunities in the market, more inventory, if you will. So those are the things that you gain, but let's talk about your renting right now. So how much are you renting? How much are you paying on someone else's mortgage? How much are you losing by not putting, you know, that, that piece, like part of it's going to be interest that you're paying, but part of it's also going to be principal. Um, and by putting 70% down, I have to imagine whatever you're going to buy is probably going to have a lesser payment than what you're renting. Now I might be wrong with that, uh, but it's just, a guess. So I think there's there's an opportunity there um, to to do something sooner rather than later. But the things I mentioned are possibilities. But let's say on the other side, what what could go wrong? Um, what could be the cons of of you waiting? Interest rates could go higher, right? House prices could not decline as much as you think. Less homes could be on the market. I mean, so all of these things are possibilities. And trying again to pick tops and bottoms, we've talked about it. It's very very difficult. You know. I mean, more so now than ever, you might have people like in the very short term that say, I regret buying a house just because of, of some of these people that did crazy stuff during the pandemic and, and people that bought in the last couple of months saying, you know, I'm not sure if I bought at the right time. But historically speaking, how many people regret owning a house, buying a house? Very few. Most people, it's a, it's a positive thing for them. They might not love their house, but they love what their house has done for, for their benefit. Like you, you got 70% to put down. Part of that's probably from selling your property. So all in all, the easy answer is I don't have an answer for you, but as long as you're weighing the pros and cons and you feel like you're doing the right decision for you, then, then I don't know that there's a wrong answer. Again, I think time heals all wounds, right? So if for whatever reason you got in and prices went a little bit lower long-term, it doesn't really matter because home prices long-term are going to go higher. So, you know, figure out what's right for you. Josh, anything you want to add on that? No, but Paul followed up being very helpful here. Says if you cash an I bond at 12 months, you lose three months interest as a penalty. And again, Jeb and I don't know this to be fact. So if you're considering I bonds, uh, ver verify everything we said and that yep. Paul said, although quite likely to be true. And then Mary had a ver another very good point. 
$10,000 a year max for I bonds. So if you've got a hundred thousand or a $200,000 down payment, this isn't good. You can't, you know, it's you Good as point. an individual. If you have a spouse, I believe you can do uh, more and um, maybe want to check if you could do it for children as well. What if we buy a we bond? We. That that gets like, like negative. We, like all, negative. The, all of us here in this group, there's 209 of us at the moment. If we all buy a bond, we can buy a lot of them. That's two hundred and you know $9,000 that we could buy. Um, so there's 209 people watching, but- there's not that many thumbs ups on the video. There's only 53 guys. I would appreciate it if you would hit that. It helps us, um, helps more people educate. I mean, it helps us educate more people, really accomplish the goal here, which is why we're here, which is why we spend two hours every week um, when we could be doing other things. We're spending them here with you guys. Um, trust me, YouTube ad revenue doesn't pay my hourly rate to be here for two hours, just so we're clear. So anybody that thinks that I'm doing this for the money, that's not why I'm here, guys. I'm here really to educate. So hopefully you guys find value in that. Uh, Josh S. Flood came back and says, you know, looking to buy my first condo in Tustin. Would it be a good location to have equity built quickly? Tustin's a great area, right? It's in Orange County, um, close to, you know, a, a lot of what Orange County has to offer. Sure, it's a great area. Is it going to, are you going to build equity quickly? It's hard to say, right? I mean, over the last couple of years, equities built quickly there. Is that something that happens every year? Not necessarily, right? I mean, we know what the annual rate of return here in California over a historical period is about 7%. So long-term, you'll probably get about 7% there. Will you get some years to get more? Sure. Will you get some years to get less? Sure. So just buying an area that you want to be in. You know, you can't pick a house up and move it in most areas of the country. Um, in North Carolina, where I'm from, you can actually do that. People do do that. Uh, but here locally, you can't do it. So just make sure you're buying where you want to be, because I think that's honestly the most important piece. Josh Maddie says, can I get a second home loan instead of an investor loan? So looking to buy a second home. It's not going to be an investment property. Wink, wink. If technically speaking, my first mortgage is an investment property loan, any real difference between the two loan types anyway? So Josh, how does a lender look at it? If I've got an investment property right now, I want to buy another property. How does that work? There used to be a big difference. And the difference was that you didn't have, um, with the second home, you had to put 10% down. Um, with an investment property at least 15% down on a single family residence, but the loan level price adjustments, which it's a fancy way of saying the hits that increase your interest rate were much larger on an investment property than they were on a second home. But as of the early part of this year, um, the FHFA told Fannie and Freddie, nope, you got to jack those up. We don't like that. So second homes are a little bit absurd here. Um, it's been so long since I've done a Fannie Mae second home that I actually have to come back in here uh, and and look and see what what that is because it's just it's a monstrous. Josh. No, it's just a monstrous number of, of knowing what it what it looks like. Um, I'll get back to it, but literally like a four point hit for a second home with 10% down. You can still do it with 10% down, but a four point hit in a normal market means a 1% increase in interest rate. We talked a little bit earlier about how lenders don't want to pay premiums for anything right now. So they're paying that premium um, to, to cover those points for you when they buy that loan. So you're probably talking one and a half to 2% higher. So the question of, can you do it? Yeah, absolutely. You can in general, the second home needs to be in a resort 
type area or there needs to be a valid reason. Um, let's say it's in Nebraska and you're saying, well, no one wants a vacation home in Nebraska. Well, it's right next door to my parents who are in failing health and I need to be there once a month to check in on them. Okay, very valid reason for you to have a second home. So it has to make sense, but the giant benefit that we used to have to, to second homes, um, not, not there in the way that it, it used to be. Good stuff. So um, side note, Celsius, way too small a cans. I mean, this thing, tiny, I could, li- tiny I could cans. literally drink this in one gulp. Really? I mean, in all honesty, like, what is this thing? Hey, but we're looking for sponsors, Celsius. I mean, <laughs> I'm willing to forego any thoughts I had about your drink for a sponsorship. Uh, Dina says, where's the best place to put money to grow outside of a savings account? We talked about that, Dina. I clicked on the wrong question of yours. So I'm going to go back here. We talked about, um, uh, what did we talk about, Josh? I-bonds, I-bonds, check those out. Um, but we're going to go back to this question. When you buy a house, do the taxes get reevaluated based on what you bought it for? How can you really predict the property tax when you buy? So here in California, uh, most states work in a similar fashion to some regard. Some are different after the fact. So what I mean by that is, for example, say you 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 uh, you bought a house for 500000 and you've owned it for 10 years, and today you're selling it for a million dollars. So your property taxes where you live were based off the 500000 at least here in California. And as that home has grown over the years in California. Your property taxes haven't really increased because of the way that California caps property taxes um, with Prop 13. So the most your taxes could have gone up were 2% a year. So they stay pretty close to where you bought it um, over that period of time. Other states have reassessments that if your house went up to a million bucks, that there is a portion of that that they could reassess you. Um, some states have homesteads that that eliminate some of that. But in reality, your property taxes could have gone up. Now, what happens is when you sell that property and Josh now buys it, the lender, when they look at, at, the, at the, the price that Josh is buying that property for, they're going to estimate the property taxes on that property based on the tax rate in that area. So here in Orange County, you can actually go to the Orange County Tax Assessor's Office. You can pull up somebody's tax bill. Like you could type in an address. You could type in my address and the tax bill would come up. You could see what I pay. You would see the effective rate and you could take that effective rate, multiply it by the purchase price and get a really good idea of where your property taxes are going to be when you purchase that property. Now understand, that's what the lender is going to use to estimate your payment and your debt to income ratio and all of that stuff. Now here in California, what happens is oftentimes when you close on a property, you'll get a supplemental tax bill a couple of months later because the the county hasn't actually had a chance to change the you know the 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 purchase price you know on the tax records uh, to where you purchased it. So your property taxes initially are going to be based off where the previous owner owned it. So if it was based off five hundred thousand when when you owned it and it's now at a million, there's going to be an assessment there for that difference. So the estimate is coming off the new purchase price, but there is some some delay in in that tax record actually being updated with the county, at least here in California, because of how it's filed. Josh, that was probably a really long answer for a really simple. Uh, my my guess is, yeah, 100%. But my guess is Dina's outside of California. Do you remember, is she in California? I, I, I think outside. And outside of California, 
I believe the other 49 states um, have an assessment schedule. Sometimes it's every year, sometimes it's every two years. Um, and then they have different homestead exemptions, all that fun stuff. So almost every other state outside of California, they're gonna look at the current taxes because they get adjusted on that schedule. So they should be relatively close to where they are. And you're gonna get underwritten using the current owner's tax uh, bill. And then you will get reassessed at some point in the future and you'll start, start paying on that. But what you said in California is 100% correct. We have to know what are you paying for the home? What is the actual effective tax rate? Statewide, California property taxes are 1%, but every locality and municipality can vote and add school bonds, police bonds, any number of things. So we have to look, is there Melarus? Are there any other special assessments? So all of that stuff, we have to figure out what are the percentage or the ad valorem taxes and what are the flat amounts? And then we get a number and can determine what it is for you on your bill. But other states, it is much, much easier than what Jeb and I just explained. Josh, the Dude, you're going to feel real good. You're going to feel real good. There's people that are asking, saying you look like you're on a diet. You've lost some weight. I've been watching my girlish figure. What can I say? There you go. This guy, you know, he's he's scared. He's scared of the market. This guy can't eat. He but thinks that, there's a housing crash coming. He's not eating. He's just, beans, beans and Franks. torn up. <laughs> beans and Franks every night. Uh, no, Josh has lost some weight. Looking, looking thin over there. Got a little tan. Got a little tan, down, nice down. little shirt on. Down he had his pineapple two. shirt on yesterday. I wish he would have worn it tonight. We had a lot to say about the pineapple shirt. It was a nice shirt, but there was some, you know, there was some commentary going on. It's a, fa it's a fancy one. It's a fancy. You know? one. This one has sharks on it. That tells you I'm a shark. Don't don't mess with me. There you go. Uh, so we got some good questions here. Uh, Moonlight Sunrise says J uh, this isn't a question. It's just a name I haven't seen on here in a long time. So I wanted to give props for for reaching out. Um, good to see your name. Uh, Indiana Jones from India. Uh, didn't know I'm from North Carolina. Charlotte Raleigh Outer Banks. No, none of those. Those are way too fancy. From a small town, Kinston. Kinston. Our, our east of Raleigh. Uh, hour and a half east of Raleigh, about halfway in between the coast or so. Uh, small farm town, Podunk. You know, that's where I was born, man. Fifty percent. Actually, of wasn't all... born there. Um, but I, I was raised there, uh, moved 50 out here. 50% of all males raised in Kinston are in the NBA. Jeb is 50%. not in that. Jeb is not in that 50. No, but it's like the stat is like one out of 50 guys that play, uh, basketball at Kinston high school, play varsity basketball, end up in the NBA. It's a, cr I mean, like some crazy stat it's, it's stupid. Uh, but you can yeah. see it on Netflix. You can verify it. It's on the internet. It's real. It is. It's actually on YouTube. I think you have to. Oh, is it? All yeah. right. Uh, don't, Patrick, don't, trust, don't trust what you hear on YouTube. There's crazy people. Oh, they're, they're everywhere. <laughs> uh, Jeb, would you consider starting an online real estate agent class would be educational and profitable? I think there's some value in that. Um, yeah, potentially. Uh, I think I am going to start doing some content for real estate agents, not because I'm some guru, but because a lot of agents watch the channel and have a lot of questions and I read a lot and I pay for coaching and pay for mentors and pay for a lot of stuff that people help me with. And I think there's a lot of stuff in there I can share, um, not because I'm any better, but because I hear it and I think it's good information that everybody can use. So um, yeah, if you have something in mind, let me know. Uh, homes with JP, the market is slowing, but there's a scenario that rates could go down to 5% in the next six months to a year with no real flood of inventory. Aren't we going to end up in the same boat as 2020? This is a question JP that I struggle with. Um, 
I don't think we could end up like 2020 because rates in 2020 were down at 3% and there were, you know, there was a lot of cash thrown into the system on top of rates being low. Um, you know, we had, uh, you know, the, the fed buying, you know, what one point, 1.2 trillion. What was the number? No, some, it was in the trillions of, of, of mortgage backed securities and, and treasury bonds. Um, and on top of that, you had all of this money basically just given free money, um, which helped people in other ways, right? I don't know that those people actually went out and bought a house with that money, but some people did, which added to the craziness. And on top of that, you had the whole Zoom world where people could work from home. There's just so many different things introduced at the same time to that market that people took advantage of it. And it created this frenzy um, that I don't know that we could duplicate. But again, what do I know? Uh, but I do think interest rates going lower does get some people off the fence. But what, like, what does that actually mean? Most of the, the the sellers, I believe, that would be potential sellers if rates came down, you know, they're they're thinking about buying a house, but now they're not because rates are higher and home prices are higher. Those people that put their homes on the market, that's a one for one exchange. So right, they sell a house, take a house. So there's no real um, impact on on inventory, so to speak. Um, you know, they're given one, taking one, kind of moves along. Uh, but what happens is. The, the, the buyers that, that were priced out because of affordability, the buyers that um, wanted to wait until rates came down. So house prices have come down a little bit in some markets. If rates go down, that could spark some interest in, in those potential buyers that aren't fearful of further declines. And that could get some, some buyers off the fence and buy houses. At the same time, I think there's some buyers that even if rates did come down, they think, I'm going to wait till rates come down even lower. Or... I'm going to wait for home prices to come down even lower. And those are the people that don't end up buying anything. And therefore, you, you're. it seems like logical that that it would introduce all this craziness because of rates going lower. But I think there's a handful of people that that still are on the fence because of the things I mentioned. Uh, but there will also be people that take advantage of it, which could, again, just kind of pick up housing and, and really keep the declines at a minimum more moving sideways, but I think there's a greater opportunity or more of a higher possibility that you see more of a sideways movement for, for the next couple of years. Josh. No, one other way of looking at it here is say rates are roughly 7% right now. Um, if you buy a, take out a $500,000 mortgage and rates were to drop to 5%, it's about $650 less a month. So with a $650 lower payment, bring more people into the market, would more people, people be able to buy and afford? Absolutely. No question about that. But let's also remember that in December of last year, that interest rate was 3%. So it's $650 more than it was 10 months ago, which took these stupid lights, they come on every time I move around. So the, the payment is still $650 more than it was 12 months ago. And despite the fact that in some areas, prices have, have receded a little bit, year over year, they're still up 12 to 15%. So from where they were last December, you're 10% higher than where you were. And, and interest rates are, even if they were to drop back to 5%. So can that be supportive of the market and home prices? Absolutely. It doesn't fix affordability. But to me, that scenario tells me, yes, we have more activity. It's supportive. We probably don't see price drops, but it doesn't bring affordability to a level where we have runway for, for monster appreciation. You're probably likely to tread sideways for a while until incomes catch up or interest rates go even lower or both most likely. 
Good stuff. Um, you know, there we've got uh, Usama coming in with some dropping some knowledge, saying the highest amount of NBA players per capita ever, eight NBA players from a small town. Um, so there you go. That's what we're known for. And we got Jamie Presley. You know, hey, listen. They say there's she something in the water. Twelve there. NBA players. She did. I, I haven't seen her in a long time. Maybe I know she's on a she new might, show. She might. She might have fallen apart. Yeah, in her she old might age. have fallen apart. You know. Dude, you can't, you know, she's older than I am, man. We're getting old. We're getting old. Um, Jeb, let's see. Here's, yes, here's a fun part. It's two, two back-to-back comments. Someone coming in. Yeah. So Habil says, the thing not often mentioned when discussing inventory is boomers are starting to kick the bucket. It'll raise inventory somewhat, particularly given boomers' homeownership rates. Yes. Is there some truth to that? 100% sure. there's some truth to that. We've talked about it on the show before here. Um, my father passed away in, in 2020. My sister and I still own his condo. We're seeing a lot of that. So a lot of people who are renters, their parents were homeowners. Now they are a homeowner. Um, we definitely see sales. You know, a, a friend of ours that that we used to work out with, Jeb, um, his father passed away last year. Yep. He and his two brothers inherited the property. He now he would have never bought home. a property otherwise. Would have never bought a property otherwise. Yep. So there's there's some truth to that. Absolutely, some inventory coming. And and Marco followed up with basically what we said: Boomers have kids. It's generational wealth. It often stays in the family, either as a rental property like my sister and I have done, or like John did with buying out his brothers and giving them um, their inheritance. And he now lives in the home. I don't know what the numbers are. I would be purely speculating, but I would say more than 50% of them are staying in the family. I can tell you any number of scenarios where I've seen them come on the market, and I can tell you almost an equivalent amount uh, where they haven't come on the market. There's been this whole theory of the, this gray tsunami yeah. coming for 20 years now that boomers are going to retire. They're going to be pulling money out of the stock market. Stocks are going to crash. Home prices are going to crash. And what, what? what are we seeing? We're seeing well, a, a lack of inventory and more people that want to buy than are able to. Well, that and they're living longer, right? Everybody thought that, you know, they were just going to age out and sell their property. Well, a lot of them, again, are living longer. And a lot of them, have found that it's less expensive to stay where they are um, than it is to try to downsize and move to something just because of, of how much homes have appreciated. Um, some states don't have the the benefit of California and, and Prop 60 and Prop 90 where you can you know transfer your tax basis lower. Uh, and so there's a lot of things that play into that move. Um, and some people are just choosing to stay at home and, and have in you know in home care versus going to some assisted living and not being comfortable through the process so a lot of factors that play in there a lot of things that they weren't thinking of when they said all these homes are going to come to the market like josh said some will some won't you know it'll be interesting to see uh but it ain't going to happen you know all at one time for one um it's not all going to happen in the same area uh secondly and it's you know your years you know spread over years for for this all to take place so Monica, just with a comment here, my grandparents' home in Anaheim has been kept in the family for grandkids to live in and get ahead. Every grandkid that needs or want gets their turn to live in. That's super cool. And, um, you know, things like that happen. And and it is the way that families can help other family members get ahead. Good stuff. Uh, Usama with the the probably the biggest question of the night saying, does the co-host have a YouTube Josh, where he paid, is your two he paid $2 to say that. That's a plant. I put him in here. He co-signed my fact that Kinston has 50% of their male residents are in the NBA. And then he also co-signed. We only had 16? Smart. Exactly. 16 people? 16 males? You and seven uh, of no, your buddies he does are not, not. I've been pushing him for years. He does, but he's not putting any content on it. So 
His his goal, Josh, what's your goal? Lay it out for everyone to hear so that you have something on the line. When will your YouTube channel have Jeb, videos on it? Did you find me an editor today, Jeb? Josh, when will your YouTube channel have videos on it? November 14th. November 14th. Wait, let's do it the night that there's a show. We'll do it. Hey, Jeb, we'll do a premiere. We will premiere on November 9th, right here after the show on November 9th. We will premiere. I like it. There we go. Videos. I'm going to write that down. Okay. Um, Bill says he doesn't have a YouTube. <laughs> he does have an OnlyFans, though. I make Perfect. so much money on the OnlyFans. Matt, I haven't Matt had time to get around to YouTube. Is that what you do, Matt? Do you edit? Let's hey, talk. Matty, if you, if you can edit, I'm in need of an editor. All right. Um, let's see. We got we got a bunch of questions here. Matt, again, another question. What's the deal with the educated home buyer meetup? It's in the same place it was the last time we uh, we brought it up. We got a lot of good ideas. We, you know, we are we are good idea people. Our follow through on some of these good <laughs> ideas is lacking because we have so many ideas that we're chasing so many different things. Squirrel, squirrel that it's hard to implement them all. So we actually need someone that writes down all these ideas and can actually implement them for us. So, and again, another note. So I'm making notes. I'm making notes tonight. November 9th, November the 9th, Josh, is the day. And then the meetup. These are two things we are going to figure out. Should guys. we do the meetup? So do, throw up a board. Do you have your access to your poll? Can we Can we do? Do we want to try to squeeze the meetup here in the fourth quarter, the busiest holiday season time of the year? Or should we do the meetup in January, like a New Year's resolution that we'll all hang out? You know, I don't know. I think I think during the holidays could be a good time. You know, it's uh, it's a slower time in the market. The educated homebuyer Christmas party? Maybe. Slash meetup? Maybe that's what we do. Maybe we do a, a party. I'm down. Let's Ooh. do it at the man cave. Let's do it at the man cave. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll get back to it. So here we got some, we got a good question here. Kelsey says, what are your thoughts on a two, one buy down? Sounds too good to be true at the moment. Assuming interest rates go down and can refinance, but there feels like there's a catch. So Josh, real quick, what is a two, one buy down? What are the risk of doing a two, one buy down at the moment? So right now, this is probably the number one question I get from buyers and agents. Just went through this with an agent three hours ago uh, on a call. Um, two one buy down means that let's say today the rate's seven percent. You would get a five percent interest rate, two percent below the market for one year. That's where the two comes from. After twelve months, it goes down to six percent, one percent below the note rate, and then for the remaining twenty-eight uh, years, it goes to the note rate of seven percent. If you do that, basically. How is that interest, the 2% the of missing interest for the first year and the 1% for the second year you're getting paid? It's getting paid up front in points from you or from the seller. So someone is paying for it. There's a cost to it. Another way in a more normal market of doing it is, let's say if you went from seven to seven and a half percent, you could normally get a lender credit that would cover setting that off. So you would get five and a half, six and a half, seven and a half, in which case, as Kelsey's saying here, you would want to refinance out of it because you're taking an above market interest rate, at least as of today. The big benefit to this back in the day is we used to be able to qualify you at that start rate. So rate 7%, we can qualify you at five or five and a half. Now you have to qualify with the note rate. So there's not really a qualification benefit. There's a payment benefit for you over the first two years. And 
above and beyond that, if we believe that in six, 12, 24 months, rates are going to be lower, you'll have an opportunity to refinance into a lower fixed rate. And the cool benefit with that 2-1 buy-down is that subsidy, those points that cover the decreased interest for the first two years, they go into a, an escrow impound account for you, just like for your property and taxes, property taxes and insurance, and it just sits there. So if you did get the opportunity in six, eight, 10, 12, 14 months to refinance, that comes off, that the balance left in that account comes off your payoff and you get the benefit of it. So if you negotiate with the seller to pay two points, you use it to do the buy-down and it actually costs a little bit less than two points. But if the seller pays that buy-down and six months from now, rates are half percent lower and you refinance, you'll be able to get that money back. If you need the buy-down to qualify, so you need to get your debt-to-income ratio lower, we need to use those two points to do a permanent buy-down, and that will generally only get you about a half percent lower versus 2% lower for the year. And the same thing, so this is talking to buyers. When we're talking to sellers, a lot of times um, someone comes in and says, hey, I want your house for $50,000 less. Seller's not willing to cut it $50,000, but they'll say, hey, I'll give you two points to, to pay for a, either a permanent or a temporary buy-down, which has a bigger impact on the monthly payment than that $50,000 or $20,000 or $80,000 price cut. So it's a tool to help that monthly payment make sense for a, a buyer um, when we're negotiating in, in the market if there's wiggle room on the price. Good stuff. Uh, Var Watch says, what is the best approach? Continue to save and buy a house cash in five years or buy now via 30-year fixed mortgage. Price point 600K, currently renting a three-bedroom apartment for 1750. So I'm a big believer that you buy, maybe not immediately, but you buy a house prior to buying it in cash. I, I don't see the value of buying a house in cash, especially when interest rates are pretty low. Um, so I, you know, you could take you could buy a house with, you know, a percentage of that down payment, stick the rest of that money that you have saved already in, in you know, 10 year or, or two year treasury bonds at 4% or whatever the hell the rate is on them at the moment and, and almost make as much money as, as your rate on your mortgage. I mean, yeah, it's not the same, but by by buying sooner or, or getting that leverage sooner, you're, you know, gaining any potential appreciation. Um, having a mortgage, you're able again to leverage that money, use the additional money to make some money. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't think buying a house cash is, I mean, you also get the tax benefits of, of owning a property, um, assuming you, you, you meet those guidelines. Um, so I think there's benefits of not paying a house in cash. Uh, but Josh, what are your thoughts? No one ever went broke paying cash for a house. When I hear a question like this, I want to ask the person, are you projecting forward that you can do this, that you can save that aggressively? 600000 over 60 months, that's some pretty aggressive savings. Yeah. I mean, what are, what are we talking? $6,000, $10,000 a month uh, in savings? That's a lot of money. Um, so if, if you have a track record, even if it's only a six, eight, 10, 12 month track record, I like that a lot more than saying, Hey, I just got a raise and I'm going to buckle down and I think I can do this because it requires a lot of discipline. Um, there's potential for spending that money on other things, losing that money in investments in the meantime. Um, but 
it's hard to argue with with paying cash for a home. If you had the $600,000 sitting there, I wouldn't be the person to tell you you have to get a mortgage. I would advise getting a 50, 60% mortgage there, um, but I wouldn't argue with you if you didn't want to. So my big question is this, do you have a track record of saving at that rate? And, and he may say, dude, I've got $400,000. I need to save another $200,000 over the next 60 months. And that sort of changes the equation. Um, but still, if you have $400,000, go buy the $600,000 house with a $200,000 mortgage and enjoy it. I mean, there's the thing is, we all want to think we're going to live it, forever. You know, if you're 30 years old, you're 35 in, in five years, you're 45, you're 50 in five years, buy the house and enjoy it. Yeah. And, and, and it, not that this is going to happen, but what if that $600,000 home in five years is now $700,000? Do you need to save another $100,000 to be able to purchase that home? Or is that still the opportunity that you, you move forward or what? I mean, there's, there's so many variables there um, that are hard to predict. It's, it's really about buying for the right reasons, being comfortable with the payment, having money in the bank. Really? Um, it sounds simple. I know when I say it like that, and I know it's not that simple, but that's really what it comes down to. And buy when it's right for you and not for me or Josh or anyone else for that matter. And these uh, are good, good problems and thoughts to be talking about. Some yeah. people, it's like, I, I can't figure out a way to get you into a home with your income and current home prices. I love your problem. Yep. Uh, Vegas, uh, Vegas real estate agent, Reggie Nolasco says, love the shirt. Love watching your videos. You guys provide great value in your videos. So appreciate that, Reggie. I want you wearing these to your appointment. So go get one out of the merch store. Uh, Josh really just, you know, question we don't get very often, but one that needs to be addressed. Do you need a job to get a house? I was hurt. And had to retire early, but I get disability retirement. I was told I was told a bank will not take that. Um, so will banks use disability to help you qualify? The first part of the question: Do you need a job? A job is irrelevant. You need income that's going to continue for at least three years, likelihood of continuance for at least three years, and that may sound crazy. Um, I've had, let's say. Um, uh, someone's divorced and they get child support and their kid's 14 and it stops when they're 18. Doesn't matter, we can use that income to qualify. With disability, if it's temporary, we have to have something in writing that it's gonna be at least three years. With temporary disability, that's unlikely. You're going back to the doctor every month, every three months, every six months, and they're checking you out and saying, hey, can you go back to work or not? In your situation, it sounds like it's permanent. If it's permanent disability, if we have social security disability income, all of that can be used. A lender can't discriminate uh, against income, um, except to the extent that it's not going to continue for more than three years. Good stuff. Um... Josh, why would rates drop? Inflation is out of control. Okay, so inflation is out of control. We've talked about this before. The Fed does not directly impact rates. Um, they control the overnight lending rate between banks, Fed funds, prime rate, all that fun stuff. But mortgage rates um, are determined by the market and what mortgage-backed securities sell for. And that's sort of a function of how they're related to treasuries and supply and demand and the premium that you pay for that. Right now, the market is looking forward at where inflation um, is likely to be. And right now, still a lot of uncertainty and rates continue to get worse because no one is yet convinced that we've seen the peak. So if you think inflation is gonna get worse and it's gonna go to nine, 10, 12, 15%, then it's very reasonable to think that rates would go up. If you think the Fed is overcorrecting and not only likely to bring inflation down, but to slow the economy significantly into a, a medium or, or slightly larger term re recession, 
then the expectation would absolutely be for rates to, to decline. We're, we just came out of a 40 year bull market in rates where we had bottomed out somewhere um, about 2% on the 10 year treasury. And we're now at 4%. And with mortgages, we talked earlier in the show, the premium over the last 10, 15 years has been 1.7%. We would expect a mortgage rate at about 5.7. As soon as the market normalizes and investors in mortgages get a, a feel for where rates are gonna be three, four years out that it's gonna level off, we will see that risk premium come back and normalize under 2%. We will see the 10-year treasury come back down. Is that number 3%? Is that number three and a half? Don't know what, what it is, but once the markets are convinced that inflation has been tamed, which uh, again, reasonable people can sit here and have debates, watch CNBC, watch Fox Business all day, and they'll bring on someone that tells you inflation's terrible and it's out of control and it's gonna keep going through the roof. And there's people that are telling you the future is deflationary and this is temporary. And two years from now, we've got a 10 year treasury back under 2%. Um, my belief is the future is deflationary. We have a period of time here that we have to work through where inflation is high. And once the markets are convinced that we no longer have to deal with inflation or inflation is, is, is waning, you're gonna see rates uh, decrease and, and fairly significantly, not back to where they were, but fairly significantly. Yeah, I mean, I often hear people contradicting themselves without even knowing they're contradicting themselves. They say, well, rates are definitely gonna go higher. Unemployment is going to go higher. No, like if unemployment goes higher, that's a signal to the Fed to basically pause what they're doing, maybe even, you know, or or and, and the fact that we're going into a recession. So all of those high unemployment recessions are deflationary. That would cause in theory, in theory, not not 100 percent certainty, not speaking in absolutes, but that the Fed would pause and, and in theory rates would come back down. Now, come back down. What does that mean? Does that mean three percent? Probably not. Does it mean they go to five? Sure. Does it mean they go to six? Sure. I, I don't know what the number is, but you're not likely going to have the the uh, unemployment number rising, um, us in a recession, and interest rates also going higher at that time. The, the, those two don't really mesh well. So you got to decide, do you believe inflation is going higher? And if you do, um, then, then chances are rates are going to go higher. But if you do believe that the Fed, what they're doing at some pack, at some point is going to impact inflation and bring inflation down, then you believe interest rates are going to go down. Interest rates follow inflation. So, you know, if it continues to rise, it's going to be impacted. If it continues to go lower, it's likely going to go lower. So with, you know, the next three readings on inflation, October, November, December are like 0 0.6, 0 0.6 and like 0.5 or something like that. So there's a really good chance year over year you see that number decline. Is it going to meet expectations? I don't know, right? I mean, that's that's the big thing. It can decline, not meet expectations, and still have a negative impact on treasuries, negative impact on the market because of the volatility out there, you know, even though it's a positive sign for the economy and all of that. So I don't know, uh, but I, I do think what the Fed is doing now is an aggressive move to get inflation under control. And I believe it's going, those numbers are going to reflect in the next three months that inflation is coming down. Um, now that doesn't mean they, they, you know, just automatically pull back what they're doing. doesn't mean that at all, but it does give them an opportunity to pause and figure out, okay, what does this look like as we move forward? Silence. Uh, let's see here. 
Uh, we got some good questions that we still haven't got into. Monica comes back and says, what if you are going to use a second home as a primary, as a permanent residence? Does it still get the four point hit? So a second home can mean a couple of things. Like I'm buying a second home. When Josh and I hear hit second home, a lot of times we hear vacation home. It's not something that you're going to live in. Um, so in that case, a second home as a vacation home gets that hit. Whereas I'm buying a second home, I'm no longer going to be in this residence. I'm going to keep it, but I'm going to buy a second home. And that one is going to be my principal residence, my permanent residence. In that case, then you don't get the hit, right? Because that's your principal. That's your new residence. So hopefully that addresses your question. Josh, anything you want to add on that? Or is that pretty clear? No, exactly. People get hung up thinking I own my home. It's my first home and I'm going to buy another home. It's my second home. Think more in terms of I own four properties and I'm buying my fifth, but it's going to be my vacation or second home, not literally the yeah. second home that I'm buying. Jeb, we have another one that popped up here. Um, Soccer by West says core inflation numbers have gone up the past three months. Yep. Um, and the fun and interesting thing to note is that in terms of setting policy, the Fed ignores core inflation. And that may sound crazy. If your family is anything like mine, the two things that I feel the most are fuel and food. And those are the two biggest things that get stripped out at the core rate. The reason why it's stripped out, um, the reason why the Fed doesn't pay a lot of attention to that is because their policy has very little control over that. It's right. being dictated by the war in the Ukraine, by the things that OPEC is doing, by the things that the, the people in Washington, D.C. are doing that they think high oil prices is good for us to hasten the transition to uh, renewable energy sources that are not yet ready at scale um, for that. So that's it, it's accurate. True. Um, I wouldn't look at the core in terms of figuring out where interest rates are going. You can't ignore it because we all get to feel it. So there's an impact to it, but the Fed is not going to set policy based off of it because they can't control it. All right. Uh, let's see what we have here. Uh, Commander Curtis says, do you have thoughts on the iBuyers, open door, et cetera, stuck with so much inventory and dropping list prices? I mean, as we talked about, you know, a year ago, you know, when we saw some of these companies bidding on properties way above prices, buying property that I didn't think the value was there. And turns out it wasn't, right? They were using algorithms or just complete craziness to try to make offers on these properties and end up buying property in some markets higher than the value at that time. And now they're stuck with some of this inventory. So do what is the, the question is, what are my thoughts on it? I think in order, if they need to liquidate this property, they're going to have to get more aggressive in some of these markets, you know, that they have a, a ton of supply. We're seeing some of it here in Orange County where they're selling the properties for less than the asking price. Now, does that mean uh, these companies aren't going to foreclose, right? So it's not going to end up in some dire situation where there's some, uh, you know, a typically a significant decline on that, on that price. But it just means that those companies are going to be affected. So publicly traded companies, Zillow, I don't know if Open Doors publicly traded, but Zillow is. Um, and it's going to report in earnings. And it's, you know, it's already been something that they've discussed. Um, so it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you could, I do know some of these companies are pitching some of this inventory to bigger funds, to not necessarily the Black Rocks of the world, but to some of these funds saying, Listen, we've got a bunch of these properties. Are you willing to purchase them? And and some of these companies probably will, um, just to take on additional assets um, and 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 turn them into rentals at some point. 
Paul's got a good question. It says, is it better to offer ask price and negotiate lower after inspection deficiencies or offer lower based on conditional issues? I would tell you, well, that's a difficult question to answer. Um, I like the approach of offering what you think it's worth based on the conditional issues. That way it's up front. There's no surprises when you come back. You know, there's no um, the emotional response from the seller. Uh, you know, hey, you offered asking price. Now you're coming back asking all of this. You know, it's there's less of that. I, I think if you can get it negotiated up front, at least attempt to do it up front is is the smarter move. Um, and then in some cases, you're even able to go back and and ask for additional, maybe if it's worse than you thought. It's, you know, but you're also in a market now. I mean, I don't know that, I think you're in a time where the asking price is, most sellers should expect, in my opinion, if the home has been sitting on the market for any period of time, you know, 30 days, 45 days, whatever, while that's not a long a long time on the market. If it's even if it's priced right, they should expect not necessarily to get asking price, maybe close to it, but going over asking is probably out of the out, out of the equation. So I think most agents are prepping people at the moment, most smart agents saying, hey, listen, this is what the market's doing. It's slower out there. You know, this is what I think the value is today, but depending on rates and other things that, you know, it, it's you know, we'll, we'll figure out the market's going to tell us what your house is worth. And, and, and with doing that, that agent should be saying up front, your house, you know, needs some work here. It needs some work there that, you know, we've either reflected that in the price that we've put out there or some buyers coming in might make an offer, you know, with that in, in, in consideration. So we, we need to kind of be, be thinking along those lines and, and prepping people, um, you know, and having those conversations with potential sellers. So I don't know that there's a right or wrong way. I just like personally like the approach of, Hey, if I'm the listing agent and you're going to make an offer and you already, you can visually walk around and see problems with it. Those problems should be factored into your price. That's I'm going to negotiate on my seller's behalf and, and with the seller to say, come back and say that like you walked around, you knew this was there. Now, if it's something that pops up in an inspection that you didn't know, well, that's something we weren't predicting. And that's something that I think it's easier to negotiate. Does that make sense? Hopefully. So, um, Josh HELOC or line of credit, which would you use? I think they meant HELOC or, or home equity second loan. loan, second mortgage. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what you can do is either get your second mortgage in the form of a line of credit, meaning you don't have to borrow any of it today, um, $100,000, $250,000, whatever amount of money you need and borrow it as you need, just like your credit card, pay it down and you're only paying interest on the amount owed. Downside is it's a variable rate of interest. Another downside is the lender can cut it off anytime they want. I hear people saying all the time, take out a HELOC, it can be your security blanket in case you lose your job, something bad happens. The lender has the right and you will notice in your home equity line of credit agreement, they can reduce or close that line anytime they want. Um, if you owe money on it, they can't call it due, but they can stop you from borrowing anymore. So the home equity loan, also a second mortgage, it's a fixed rate, fixed for five, 10, 15, 20, sometimes 30 years. So um, it's gonna have a higher interest rate, it's gonna have a higher payment and you have to take all the money right away. So to me, the biggest deciding factor comes down to, is it some, in case I need it money or is it I need it money? If it's I need it money, do the second mortgage. Um, if you're 
super uncertain. Sometimes I'll have people say, eh, we're going to do 50 to $150,000 of upgrades to the house. Okay, do the home equity line of credit, take the money as you need it. Um, a lot of times people will know I need $62,000, but I don't know when I need it. So I'd like to put the loan in place so I can write a check whenever I, I know that I need that money. Okay, then that's a line of credit so that you're not paying interest until you need the money. Um, not an easy answer, two different tools, good uses for both of them. There you go. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um, ben says, how to know if the purchase agreement is good stuff. I need more than that to be able to determine that. I, I'm not sure what the question is there exactly. Um, Hani, or actually not Hani, but um, Ayers says, my wife and I found a house that we love. Does it make sense to buy right now with interest rates so high? Can you afford the payment? Do you have a longer term time horizon? You said something there that you love the house, right? How many houses have you seen that you love? I will tell you, most buyers out there um, have to see several, several houses before they find something they love, can see themselves living in. Um, so I would say with all of that said, if I found a house that I love today that my wife loved and the other things made sense to me, even though the rates were higher, I personally think there's an opportunity to refinance in the future. Um, but you know, to each his own, you got to do what's right for you. All right. Uh, let's see what we got here. Josh, um, got something? I, I can't find it, but there was a comment earlier um, that the Fed can't double money supply and mm -hmm. then raise rates for two months and expect it to go away. So a couple mm -hmm. things to remember. Fed's been raising for a lot longer than two months. Mm -hmm. Raised most the most aggressive that hiking our, cycle. That was our friend Alan Rhodes. Yeah, the most aggressive hiking cycle quote, in the, his, the history. Yeah, whoever he's calling himself this week. Um, it's the most uh, aggressive hiking cycle in the history of the Fed. They are not going to stop before the end of the year. So we're going to see a bunch more. Um, and the most important thing is money supply. Uh, you know, it's it's a concept that, that Milton Friedman came up with. Yep. And what he did not understand and did not factor into his equation was the velocity of money. Mm -hmm. Velocity is, has decreased to record low levels and is unlikely to return at any time. So in that equation, when it's money supply times velocity and velocity is way down, you can increase money supply without causing inflation. It's not to say that it didn't have any impact on the inflation, but it was it was what was done with the money and also COVID making it where people couldn't spend for a long period of time and shutting down supply chains. All of these things are correcting, not guaranteeing they're going to correct in the next six months, but in the next 12, 24, 36, it will absolutely correct. And the same things, uh, the, the same factors that were in play for the last 40 years are still there. Massive government indebtedness, um, that prevents productive use of capital going forward and more and more money going towards debt service. So that, that tells us that it's, it's self-reinforcing. The system cannot function with high interest rates and high debt, meaning that there's not enough money to keep this spending going on that's inflationary. It will correct itself. It may not correct itself back under that 40-year downtrend, but it's going to correct itself from the levels that we saw early this year that were way out of control and the numbers that we're seeing now that are, are also already moderated. Good, good. Um, Patrick says, if I'm buying the house directly next door, any ways to avoid the higher hits from banks? 
any loopholes there, 203 loan or conventional. So 203K loan, I'm assuming what you're talking about there with FHA, <clears throat> that's a rehab loan. Um, so, you know, buying the house next door, I'm assuming you own the house that you're in and you're buying the one next door. I mean, the only way for it to make sense without hits, if you will, is, is that you're turning that one into a primary, like you're moving into that one as your primary. Um, and it has to make sense to the lender for you to do that. Um, Josh, I mean, what, what would you add on this? You have to get the lender to believe that there's a valid reason why that would be your uh, primary residence. And I will say that in the current market, it's probably easier to do than it was a year or two ago when lenders had loans coming out their ears and they're like, why would I want to take on any risk to put one more loan on the books versus right now saying, I would like another loan. I will take a little risk of Fannie or Freddie not believing that this is an owner occupied primary residence. And the reason why I say that is why would someone normally move um, the next the house next door is bigger. The house next door is better. There's something about it that would lead you to, to move there. Um, it could be smaller. Kids are all gone from the house. I got a 4,000 square foot house. That one's 1,500. That's all me and the wife need. Um, could be getting divorced. Um, any number of things. You have to be able to convince the lender that there's a valid reason. Reasons why they would be less likely to believe it is last month you took out an owner-occupied loan uh, refinance for $200,000 cash for the down payment for the house next door. They're going to look at that and go, no, bro, you don't get two owner-occupied loans. If you refinanced it in the middle of the pandemic at ultra low rates and took $200,000 out, hey, I didn't know what I was going to do. I just wanted to borrow that money. So it comes down to your loan officer packaging a strong file and making a case and making sure an underwriter accepts what you're going to do. Good stuff. And if you're watching this right now, I would be um, very thankful if you hit the like button. Um, you can follow on other social platforms, uh, doing a lot of shorter form content on YouTube and TikTok. If you want to follow stuff there, the educated homebuyer link there as well. Um, if you want to uh, listen to Josh and I go into detail about other housing related topics, help you become the educated home buyer. Maybe now is not the right time for you to purchase. Maybe it's six months from now. Maybe it's a year from now. Um, the information in there will give you the guidance, the, the, the acumen, if you will, um, to be, you know, uh, the perfect buyer when, when the opportunity presents itself. So Jeb, we have a very good question. And, uh, my wife was afraid of this because she said, you need to take that down. No one is going to know what that is. That is a picture of my dog. It is not a pig and it's certainly not a dissected pig. <laughs> pig. So if you say that my dog will bite you oh, to death. So, so that good. is not a picture of a pig. That's and so then Paul good. followed up with another excellent question. Lights, ghost or faulty sensors? More towards faulty sensors. But when I push the button and turn it off, it's not supposed to turn itself back on. It's deciding that a small amount of movement, it needs to turn itself back on. So I would lean towards faulty sensors. Uh, good stuff. Is that a dissected chicken? <laughs> oh, that was that was from Alan Rhodes asking uh, uh, Patrick what his picture was of um let's see here what do we got um uh, i feel better now because i was certain they were talking about my picture of my dog i'm glad that it's a dissected pig eye and not my dog that they're talking about here no yeah they, he was he was talking to uh to pa uh to patrick here in the, in the chat so we got some let's see here here was a question that i let's see uh peter says if we see a bunch of house deals open up next year but stock market remains 
uh, in bear territory? Is it possibly an advantageous trade-off to sell stocks in order to buy real estate, even if selling stocks at a loss? Here's the thing. Here's what I know about selling stocks. Um, it's, it's, it's emotional, um, just like buying a house is emotional. And what I mean by that is buying, you know, people buy emotionally, justify logically. The thing about selling stocks is that what, what happens is people buy a stock. Let's just say they buy it for $100. It drops to $50. People get scared. They, they know if they sell that stock, they're actually taking a loss, okay? But in their head, if they're holding on to that stock, they haven't taken the loss yet. And typically what happens is over time, stocks come back up. And as soon as it hits the price that they paid for that stock, they're out. Like, I'm gone. I got my money back. I'm gone. And guess what happens to that stock from there? Continues to rise, right? Historically speaking. So I don't know that people are going to cash out losses on stocks to go turn it into a real estate uh, purchase. If they, if they need a house um, for one reason or another, and that's the only access to cash they have, maybe. But I don't think that most people are going to look at that and go, I'm selling my stocks. I'm going to, at a loss, and going to put it back in real estate. Um, I'm thinking if anybody's held their stock through the bear market, if you will, um, without selling and, and you know, and, and um, you know, with, with the market going downward, um, they're probably going to hold would be my guess because of that emotion. Now I could be completely wrong on that, um, but just just my two cents. So um, I think what you see more of than anything else is, you know, the, the stock market at some point finds a bottom. By the, by the time that people think uh, the stock market is going to continue to go down, they've already missed the bottom in the market and things move back up. Now, is that another 10% down? Are we there now? I don't know, um, but I, I do think, that the Fed is getting aggressive. And as soon as they show their, their cards that they're not willing to um, continue to hammer uh, the brakes on the economy, I think that's when you start to see a bottom in, 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 in the market, um, in my opinion. So I don't know what that means exactly, but um, I think that means there's an opportunity at the moment. If again, if you're a long-term holder in stocks, if you have 401k, you got things sitting in cash, not that you need to go buy them today, but you can start looking at companies that are way off their highs, that have a lot of money in cash that aren't going anywhere um, and look at the long-term, um, you know, buy and hold. I mean, that's, you know, buying buying value in these companies, buying buying companies that aren't trading at 100 times their their EBITDA, their, their, their earnings. Um, there's, there's, it's the stock market's at a discount, right? We're not a, a stock channel, um, not giving stock advice, but I would tell you there's, I think there's opportunities in the market at the moment with some of these, these companies. And that doesn't mean they can't go lower. I'm just telling you, I think it's okay. If you buy something, it goes a little bit lower before it goes higher. That's, that's, that's the cycle. So anyway, Josh, how'd we get here? Well, here we had uh, someone followed up with, are we inferring that banks and loan officers are more desperate to create loans, adding risk to their loan portfolio? Would that be charge offs time bomb? Um, 
I do believe that is true. What I will say is I had a client last year that refinanced their home cash out in January, and we were able to make a case in March for them to buy a brand new primary residence. They were taking that cash out to buy an investment property while out looking for an investment property. They found their dream home, and we found a lender even in that market who was willing to allow them to do that owner-occupied. Um, so in the current market, are we saying that's happening? It absolutely is. And, and lenders look at it different ways. There are some lenders that get more conservative in the cur current market. They don't wanna take on any risk. There are other lenders who will take on additional risk. Someone then followed up with saying, yeah, loan officers and everyone's going out of business, they'll take on more risk. I, as a loan officer, don't get to make any risk decisions. I get to package a loan, send it to an underwriter, and the underwriter for the lender decides whether it meets the program guidelines. And what I can say is some lenders are willing to take on more risk in the current market, some are willing to take on less. There are literally lenders going out of business. And for some reason, people find it, it fun or humorous to, to say that, um, oh, all these realtors are gonna go out of business, lenders or loan officers are gonna go out of business. Jeb and I did this in 2007, 2008, 2009. Um, some of the investments I made in that market um, have done more to add to my wealth over the long haul than anything I've done since then. So I don't care what the market does. We'll make it through, we'll pay our bills, and I will make investments that will make my life better. Not everyone can say that. Um, our industry, you know, we could talk about last year when everyone in the world went and got a real estate license or decided to become a loan officer and they made good money despite the fact that they added no value to the system. So did we need some, some evenness? Unfortunately, this is a boom and bust industry with low barriers to entry. So it's sort of what we deal with. But I would say, don't, don't take joy in the fact that there are people in this industry suffering. Are some people washed out that need to be washed out? Yeah, but I actually have friends in the business that I know are very good loan officers. They're not good at sales and marketing. And in the current market, they're suffering and or having to go get a different job and not being able to help people. So just a different perspective. Good stuff. Uh, Andy Roos has just got in a house in my area when is a foreclosure, $140,000, well below comps to 50 to 300 conservatively. Why would they sell so low? Maybe there's something wrong with the property. Maybe there's more than what meets the eye with, I mean, it's hard to say, right? I mean, did it actually sell for 140 or did it list at 140? So if it sold at 140, well below the comps at 250 or 300, my guess is there's uh, one of two things happening. Either there's really something truly wrong with that property that that you're not aware of um, and or somebody didn't understand the value of what they had and and let it go for that amount. Um, outside of that, too difficult to say without knowing um, all the details. Uh, Josh, we got another one here. Um, what, uh, this one, Will says, uh, do we do a podcast on this? Says, can you explain a 2-1 seller buy-down versus a standard seller paid rate buy-down? Is there a difference? So first question I have for you is, did we record a podcast where we actually explained the difference? We did, right? I believe we did, and okay. we answered this earlier in the show. So just will just showed up. Or okay. More, so more you want to give a a, a, qu a really quick, quick quick one quick quick one. So a two one buy down is temporary. So two percent lower than market for one year, one percent for one year, and then it goes to the market rate. Um, 
uh, standard buy down is a permanent buy down. You take one, two, three points from the seller and you use that to buy the interest rate down. It won't go down as much, but it'll be there for the remaining life of the loan. So general rule of thumb, you get two points from the seller, you're gonna get a half percent lower interest rate for the life of the loan. But use those two points to pay for a two one buy down. It's a full 2% for one year, 1% for one year, and then it goes to the market rate. There we go. Um, let's see. We followed that. Um, you know, a, a lot of people have a misconception of mortgage insurance, Josh. So I, I put this question up here so that more so you can address PMI um, than anything else. But it says, is it a good idea to put only 10% down on a $600,000 home, adding the PMI to the monthly, but keeping a big savings just in case? So the, I guess another way of putting this question, Josh, is if I have 20% down, um, is it smarter to maybe not put the 20% down, put less money down, take some mortgage insurance and keep some money in the bank? Because we've talked several times about how mortgage insurance, if you have really good credit to borrowers, is actually way less expensive than a lot of people think. So let's let's hear that. Um I think it's a really good idea as long as you're still comfortable with the payment. It's going to push your payment higher. So on a $600,000 home, let me see. I actually just ran this real quick. Um, that's a 600,000 loan amount. But let's say you're looking at 540,000 with that 10% down. It's $103 a month. So would you rather have $60,000 in the bank or $103 higher on the monthly payment? It's actually going to be more than that because the per thousand dollars that you put down, you're saving about $6 in the monthly payment. So only a hundred of it goes to mortgage insurance, but that additional 10% you're not putting down is gonna cost you about $360. So it's about $460 more in the monthly payment, but you have $60,000 in the bank. Um, so when we look at that, are you comfortable with that, um, of, of being able to invest that, earn a return on it to offset some of that? Um, are you gonna have to use some of that to pay the payment down? Um, I think it is a very good strategy for people who don't uh, don't have issues with their debt to income. They're um, at a lower debt to income ratio and can can absorb that $460 increase in the monthly payment in this situation. And remember, if you're in another part of the country, we're talking about a $300,000 purchase or a $400,000 purchase. These numbers are much smaller, um, but it can make a, a, a big bit of sense. And if you're worried about home prices dropping, um, you don't necessarily want a large portion of your net worth tied up into your home equity. Um, put five or 10% down, keep the money liquid to you. Um, if you have that long-term time horizon that we talk about, you can then absorb any temporary downturn. You're making a slightly higher monthly payment, but you still have your funds uh, available to you. It's one of those things where there's not a right or wrong answer, but the logic can certainly make sense. And since you're asking the question, it seems as though you're probably inclined to think that. And I would affirm that if you're already leaning that way, it can be a good decision for you. There you go. Um, Willing has a good question here. Another good question tonight. Willing coming through with the strong questions. There's another one after this, but how do you stay focused when you're sitting in your office and the phone tree is dead? Josh, is it dead? I'll let you answer that. Pipeline dwindling and your motivation to watch, read webinars is low. What do you do to prepare and glow and flow? So anybody that's not uh, here uh, on a regular basis, Willing is in the mortgage business, um, taking on uh, a new job, I believe. So Josh, what do you, what do you do in a time like now when, when things are slower? 
So I think that Willing had also asked earlier, is it is it productive and or appropriate to cold call realtors? Um, and the answer is, um, I told you, I talk to a lot of realtors every day. My team is reaching out to realtors in Southern California, which we have not had time to do for the last couple of years. And if you're a realtor, you can say, huh, you didn't have time to call, but now you're calling. And say, well, yes, that is a fact. We didn't have time to call and now we're calling. And why are we calling? Because we need more business and we have value to give. I'm not just calling up saying, hey, I'm awesome. Please send your loans my way. Um, we have a unique product that we can offer in, in eight Southern California counties. It's about a half percent lower than the market. We can do 3% down all the way up to 975,000, 5% down to 1.2 million. Super valuable in areas like the Inland Empire where they don't have high balance loans. So what I would say is, Make sure you have something of value, a product that they can't get other places. Um, and if you don't, I mean, I still would say, yeah, make those calls. You know, we're talking about, does Josh have a YouTube channel? The last two years, I did not have time to have a YouTube channel. So we're sitting here looking at Jeff, Jeff saying he didn't have time for a YouTube channel either. So um, that's, that's where we're putting our time. What are the things that we can do? The things that we talk about here talk about them in YouTube videos, take some of the stuff that I do with vetted VA, take that same knowledge and information, put it out and make it available to people. There's going to be a lot of people who are no longer in this industry. The ones that have value to add and are willing to work a little harder um, and, and focus on sales and marketing, you're going to make it through and make it just fine. I'll tell everyone who will listen, the last two years, no one needed to make the amount of money that, that I made. So if I make half as much, I still do just fine. So if you're going to be in this business, it is cyclical. Live below your means and be prepared to work harder sometimes. And sort of the downside is it's just a different form of working hard. The last two years, it's working 12, 14 hours a day because there's loans falling out of the sky. Now it's working hard because you're having to make loans come in the door and continue to pay the bills. Good stuff. So somebody in here puts... <laughs> funny that you put this so um platinum black says jeb is this listing a joke so i'm actually going to throw this on here on the screen and we can look at it together to see if it's a joke josh you'll love this it's actually we saw it. we've already we've already looked at it um i sent it to you yesterday is it, so, oh you said i thought i thought you were gonna they, they sent you catfish oh no, this no. One, i got I you know. i see what it is yeah so we're gonna put this one up here so is this a joke, guys? You look at this and you go, three bedroom, two bath, 1,171 square foot uh, property on a 6,000 square foot lot here in Huntington Beach. Location's actually good. Um, that tract is a, is a, is a good tract. Uh, backs to a school. Um, nothing wrong with that. Um, and then we go into the pictures. And get, get the money shot. We look at the money shot, Josh said. Look at that bad boy. So, it does not have a kitchen. Backyard's a bit overgrown. Not a big deal there. Literally, no kitchen. No flooring. We got a bathroom, though. We got a bathroom. Got another bathroom. So, you can use the bathroom. Um, but that's it, right? Oh, the garage is the nice part of the house. Uh, so, is it a joke? No, it's not a joke. Um, it's a, you know, they're putting it out there where they think it's essentially a flip opportunity, right? So the question is at three bedroom, two bath, 1,171 square feet, if that property were fully remodeled in that neighborhood, Josh, what do you think it would sell for? If you had to guess. Um, 
hair over a million, million fifty, if it was really nice, a million one. Yeah, some of those some of those homes in that track over the last couple of years in that, you know, that's not a Dutch Haven track, I don't think, but right beside it is. It's, I would it's say, not, but a lot of those homes in there have been, the, if you're saying, yes. I mean, they can go very high, but they're doubled. You know, they no, went no. up and they're 2,200 square feet, not Exactly. So 1,170 square feet. <laughs> I, I would say the high side of that property at the moment is maybe 1-1, one, one, you know. Um, so you got to think, buying it at 995 What's it cost to redo the inside of that house, Josh? Hundred thousand. I mean, for the average person buying it, for the average person, one fifty. If you're an experienced flipper and you can act as your own general, you could get that level of work done and make that house nice for a hundred grand. Do you want to bring this full circle though to some of the questions we had earlier? What's happening with iBuyers? You want to pull up the one of of the other one in that neighborhood and show them what a renovated house looks like and what they ask for it? I don't because I don't want to have to go through it and find it. Okay, well, let's just let's just tell them. So in that same neighborhood, damn near the same house, open yeah. door bought a house, and they have it listed for barely what was it, eighty thousand more than they paid for it, and they did a full renovation on it. They did a terrible renovation on it, but they did a full renovation, and they have it listed for eighty thousand more than they paid. They paid eight seventy. Um, they probably put 65, 70 into it, and maybe less. Open door is operating at scale. They have contractors on. Um, you know, on salary. So maybe they could do it for 40 or $50,000. It's bad. It's not what buyers want, which if you're a professional home buyer, renovator, reseller, I would expect a, a much better outcome. But when you compare, like, weren't they, Jeb, just barely more expensive than that gutted one? Um, it was, yeah. What the, hold on a second here, dude. I'm, I got too many. I can't, it won't let me do it for whatever reason, but let me see if I can go back. I wish I remembered what the name of the street was. I don't remember either. It's taking too long here. And just, yeah, just for context, um, that my junior high is right in that neighborhood. In 1986, those homes were 140, 150 thousand dollars. I have a a good friend that we helped um, buy in there in 2003. So what? 15 years later, those things had doubled. They were three, 325, 350, and now here we are. What? Another 15, 17 years later, and they're looking at triple from from that at around a million. Now, and Dina says maybe you guys could look up houses, photos, tell everyone your insight. That would be entertaining and knowledgeable. Just need some locations and ranges. It would be, and we've actually thought about it. The problem is. In my market, I would probably know some of these people, and it I don't know that it would be the most ethical approach. Now, we could find some stuff on Zillow and, and just destroy it and just make fun of it. But even then, we don't really know the markets well enough to be able to tell you if it's priced right. We could just make fun of houses if, they, if that sounds interesting. <laughs> we could do that because um, we're both opinionated. Uh, so that could be you know fun for some people, and uh, but not so much for others. But anyway, we are close to wrapping this up. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the show, um, we've got some merch per your request. Um, good stuff shirts. Uh, there's two different designs. There's the educated home buyer shirts as well. Um, you can actually see it under some of these videos, depending on where you're watching it, uh, my other videos, but you can also check the link in the description if you want, or in the comments, rather it's at the top, it's pinned at the top. If you want to order something, um, support the show, much appreciated there. The educated home buyer podcast. You can listen to that again. It's different content. We're actually working on an educated home buyer podcast, YouTube channel. Um, Josh has agreed to take that on in addition to his own channel. He's going to find out real quickly here how much fun, how much fun and joy it is. Multiple channels is going to be, uh, but that's coming. Josh, final words, anything you want to ask for other than hitting that like button? 
No, I, I like that the name of the show is The Educated Home Buyer, and you guys are coming here every week asking good questions, thinking through good things. Um, you know, and, and again, Jeb and I don't have a monopoly on knowledge here. Um, we've done this a long time. We read a lot. We do a lot of research. No one has a crystal ball. I think we got a pretty good handle on where things are and where they're headed. Some of it, we just have to let it play out. So keep thinking hard, keep asking good questions, and come to the best solutions and answers for you and your family. No, and I'll remind you guys, you guys actually came up with the name. You guys voted on it. We gave you options. You guys are the educated home buyers, right? You are what we've created. I mean, that's why it's there. It's because of you. You've given us the the ability to do that and the support, and we appreciate that. Um, and we'll be back next Wednesday, another live for two hours. Uh, until then, guys, peace out. Adios. Adios. Thanks for listening to The Educated Home Buyer. Want to connect with us or to a local expert in your area? Please reach out at theeducatedhomebuyer.com slash expert. If you found any value today, please be sure to rate and review us on your favorite podcast platform. In addition, we ask that you share it with your friends and subscribe to us on YouTube. And make sure to follow us on social media. Thanks again for listening.